Well, we're certainly glad you've come to worship with us this morning, and the worship continues as we open up to Hebrews. We're in chapter 5. I invite you, if you're not there already, to open up to Hebrews 5, my favorite book of the Bible right now, and uh, whatever we're studying is my favorite book, and I am just so grateful that I have the joy and privilege just to spend time uh, throughout each day opening Hebrews, studying it, meditating on it, praying for wisdom. And then if I can somehow communicate even a degree uh, to you of the blessing that God's using this book to be in my life, I hope it'll, it'll be an encouragement to you. The theme of Hebrews, you could see from the slide, I'm calling it, Don't Go Back, Jesus is Better. And if you remember, that's what's going on. This letter is written to people that are Jewish and they're professing believers. Now, what does it mean to be a professing believer? They're saying, yes, I put faith in Jesus, and we trust they have, and no doubt many of them have. Hopefully all of them have, but there's something going on. There's persecution. There, there are people that are Jewish saying, come on back. I mean, why do, you, why do you want to be so excited about this Jesus thing anyway? And they're thinking, you know, maybe. Maybe we would go back. Maybe being Jewish wasn't so bad. So many practical applications of that today. I've used this before for Nancy and I. We're from Roman Catholic backgrounds. And when we first made professions of faith in Christ, you know, the rest of your family kind of looks down on you. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, we're Catholics, right? You've gone to Catholic school 12 years. You've been baptized a Catholic. What's the deal? Why would you leave this beautiful building and this rich tradition, and, and, and all of this great religious type of worship, and just meet in a, with a small group of people that have a Bible and talk about Jesus. I mean, isn't that a step downward? I think it applies a lot of times to young people raised in Christian homes, right? You know, mom and dad take you to church and you go, but you don't know, you know? Are, are you really going to buy into it? Or is it, you know, I don't know, yeah, I made a profession maybe when I was young, I was baptized, but now I'm thinking about things a little bit differently, and I'm thinking there's somewhere else I'd rather be. And, and if you're in any of those categories, I'm sure there's others, this letter's for you. And the message is, don't go back. Where are you going to go? Jesus is better than anyone. In fact, Jesus is a great high priest. Now, if you're Jewish background, that's a big deal because the high priest is one of the most important guys there is. And no doubt people would be saying, hey, you're a follower of Jesus. You don't have a high priest anymore. And the author of Hebrews is saying, now, wait a second. You do have a high priest. You have more than a, great, than a high priest. You have a great high priest. Let's review. 414, you see it on the screen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, that's the ascension, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Why would I keep following Jesus? It's not like I gave up a high priest when I left Judaism. I got the real high priest, the great high priest. His name is Jesus, and right now he's in heaven interceding for me as my great high priest. In fact, the author goes on to say in chapter 5 or 6 that Jesus is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, what comes to your mind when you read that? Jesus is a great high priest. Amen. 
He's not only a great high priest, he's according to the order of Melchizedek. And how many of us go, wow, that is so cool. I've always wondered if he was according to the order of Melchizedek, right? I mean, I've been thinking about Melchizedek all week. I think a lot of us are like, whatever, right? According to the order of Melchizedek. That's Hebrews 5, 6. It's a quote from Psalm 110, 4. And then you catch yourself wondering, what does that even mean? And then you go up to Hebrews 5, 9, and 10. He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. And we go, awesome. I have eternal salvation in Jesus. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And it's like, who's Melchizedek? And why are you so excited that you don't only mention it once, you mention it twice? And here we are thinking, would you please tell me what's up with Melchizedek? And guess what Hebrews does? Hebrews says, I know you're wondering about Melchizedek, so guess what? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you because you're not mature enough to get it. That's today's message. Let's talk about Christian maturity, and we'll pick up the story now in Hebrews chapter 5 in verse 11. Notice what Hebrews says in 5.11. Concerning him. Now the him can refer to Jesus. It can refer to Melchizedek. It's, it's what we just saw in verse 10, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The ESV says about this. You say, what is the this? It's the idea that Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek. Concerning him, we have much to say. And, and in our hearts, we're like, say it. And it is hard to explain. And my first thought is, Come on, you're writing the Bible, so do a good job and explain it. And the author says, no, 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 you don't get it. It's hard to explain, and it's not my bad, it's your bad. That's what we see in this text of Hebrews 5.11. You say, what's the bad? Just read the rest of 5.11. It is hard to explain since or because you have become dull of hearing. That's the problem. You don't really listen to God's Word. So I've called the message today Christian Maturity. What are marks of Christian maturity? What must we do to be mature? We would listen to God's Word. And when someone says, wow, Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek, we'd be like, wow, I want to know this because I'm tuned in, I'm listening. Not these Hebrews. Notice what it says. You have become dull of hearing. It's not cognitive incompetence. It's not mentally you're just kind of behind your cohort. That's not what we're talking about. The word here translated dull has the idea of laziness. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates this, you are too lazy to understand. It's the idea that you suffer from spiritual sluggishness. It's like a person who's lazy. They don't feel like getting out of bed. 
They don't feel like doing the dishes. They don't feel like cutting the grass. They don't feel like cleaning up around the house. And they certainly don't feel like opening up their Bibles and reading. And they don't feel like coming to church. Or if they do come to church, they're on their phone all the time. It's like, why would I listen to a message about Melchizedek when I could be on my phone shopping, keeping track of the games, or whatever you happen to be inclined to do? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's the problem. You guys are not where you should be, and it's not on me, it's on you. You don't actively listen to God's Word. You have become dull of hearing. And just to make that clear, as we get older, some of us we don't hear as well. And some of us we even get devices like hearing aids to help us hear. That's not what this is saying. It's not that you can't hear it. You hear it, but you don't listen because you're not motivated because you don't care. Because you're distracted sometimes by bad things, and that can happen. You know, no doubt it could be that there's people maybe... I didn't go to church, you know, because I was out Saturday night late partying, whatever. But I think for a lot of people, we're distracted by good things. And our minds are just filled with so many things. You know, we have shepherd group Sunday meetings going on. And I've encouraged our elders to encourage their wives to keep this in mind. It's easy to think we're planning shepherd group Sunday meetings I don't need to hear the sermon. I just need to get ready for the people that are coming over later today. Rather than thinking it doesn't really matter how well prepared we are for this afternoon's meeting, I need to listen to God's Word. The Hebrew readers didn't have that heart. They weren't that focused longing to listen to God's Word. You know, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.2, now he's going to use the word milk differently than Hebrews does. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. If we are going to be mature believers, just like a baby longs for that next bottle, we need to be longing to spend time in God's word. Yes, that would include coming together for a sermon like today and actually engaging. And, and I know we're all tempted to daydream. I daydream during sermons, but i got to fight it if I'm going to be mature. That means during the week, guys, like a baby can't do one bottle of Sunday, during the week, it's opening up the Bible. You say, Greg, that's hard. I know it's hard. But if you're mature, you're working on it. And that means, you know, again, we got the final four coming up, and I like sports, but that may mean if you're really into a game, you might even record it because you're going to spend some time in God's Word, and then you could watch it and skip the commercials, which is good anyway, okay? That might mean that, you know, well, you hang out on social media every night. It might mean you play video games every night. I'm not suggesting any of those things are sinful. I think a lot of times, guys, it's not the bad stuff necessarily that helps us to be dull in hearing. It's misplaced good stuff. For some of you students, it might be you spend too much time studying. And I know some of you parents say, my kids didn't struggle with that, and I understand. 
But it's the idea that even something good like studying your lessons can be an excuse for not spending time in God's Word. If you want to be a mature believer, Psalm 1, and I know this is familiar, but it needs to be clear, right? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Our former pastor, Dr. Custer, he had a handful of things he would repeat. You can mark it down. And on this text, he would say this every time. That means turn off your television. But his delight is, it doesn't mean television's wrong, be careful. But his delight's in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Guys, this is more than hearing God's word. This is delighting in hearing God's word. You know, rhetorical question. How many people in this room or live streaming, and if you're live streaming, we welcome you. How many actually already prayed this morning? Lord, I want to hear your word. Lord, I just want to hear from you. Prepare my heart. How many of you maybe prayed for me? Lord, bless Greg that he would present the word properly because I need it. I know a couple of you have because you've texted me this morning. And I appreciate that. See, to delight is we're actually excited about God's word and we meditate on it day and night. That means you think about it. So how do you think about it? That means you talk about it. One of the reasons we get together in Shepherd Group Sunday meetings is because we want to talk about the Word. We want to get more comfortable just talking about Jesus, talking about the Gospel, talking about the text, and it becomes an everyday kind of thing. You say, what happens if you do that? You'll be mature, but that's not the word that's used. It's a picture. You will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. In our previous house that we had built, so, you know, we kind of started from scratch, I counted, I planted over 50 trees, and I enjoyed every one of them. I mean, buying a tree, digging a hole, sticking it in the ground, putting some compost or whatever I'm doing at the time, and then you have to keep it watered, guy. My philosophy always was, if a tree makes it one year, it's good, and then it's on its own, kind of. But that first year, especially summer in South Carolina, could be tough. I'd always have a hose for that first year in the summer to help it get through that difficult time. And I personally don't believe I've ever had a tree that died if it survived the first year. This is maturity in a sense. A tree firmly planted by streams of water, what happens? Its leaf doesn't wither. Why? Because its roots hit the water. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome to be the kind of Christian when your life is topsy-turvy, when things aren't going well with your parents or your kids or your job or your school or your health? All of those are so hard that you actually are still doing awesome because you're mature, because your roots hit water. You have to be in God's Word on a daily basis. You have to. And you say, Greg, is that a legalistic thing, like read your Bible every day and check it off? It's more than that, but it's certainly not less than that. You have to read God's Word daily. Intently, meaningfully, but it has to happen. 
And it has to also include coming together and hearing God's word preached. And for many of us, we listen even to a couple sermons during the week. And I know some of you can roll your eyes and say, listen to Mr. Spiritual. You listen to sermons during the week. No, if you would understand how unspiritual you are, then you would think about listening to them as well. The people that are listening are not listening because they're awesome. They're listening because they know they're not awesome. And they need Jesus. And this is the heart that we all need to have to be a mature Christian. We have to listen to God's Word. Concerning Him, we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now notice what comes next in verse 12. We'll take the first phrase. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. If I were to ask you guys, what would you see in this text? Number two, what is a mark of Christian maturity? Number one is you listen to God's word. What would the second mark of Christian maturity be, I don't think a lot of us would actually come up with this one on our own, but it's right here and it's number two. If you are a mature Christian, you are right now discipling other people. That is a key mark of Christian maturity. You are engaged in teaching others. Notice the text, 12, verse 12. By this time, now careful, you might be a newer believer and there hasn't been enough time, so no worries. But by this time, enough time has passed, you ought. Ought, you see it there in verse 12, is a word of moral obligation. You know, we use the word ought differently. Like I might say, hey, I found a new coffee shop, you ought to try it. And that's not really like an obligation, it's just a suggestion. Hey, Greg said there's a good coffee shop, maybe I'll give it a try, maybe I won't. But that's not our word ought. This is a term that says, if you're mature, you have an obligation. And your obligation is you should be a teacher. Now we have to be careful. What does it mean to be a teacher? It doesn't mean you have to have that position in your local church, it does mean you serve that function in the lives of other people. This is what we're going to call discipleship. What is discipleship? I am a disciple of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. I am a learner. Jesus is the teacher. I'm the learner. Now, we don't think that way today, but back in the day at this time, it was very common that there would be teachers, and you would identify with one, and you would say, I'm a disciple of, and you would follow that person. We, if your faith's in Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus. You say, okay, Greg, am I mature? Well, let me ask you, number one, are you regularly, intentively, purposely listening to God's word? Number two, are you discipling other people? If the answer is no, then I'm not mature. Every Christian who is mature is actively discipling other people. Teaching, careful. 
not teaching so you can pass a test. Hey, can you name all of the kings in the northern kingdom in a row? That's not a mark of spirituality. A mark of spirituality is, can we do lunch? Because I just wanted to spend some time with you. Hey, while we're doing lunch, can I share with you a verse that has blessed me? That's a mark of spirituality. It's one of you older women saying to a younger woman, could I stop by and bring you coffee? I know we can't do lunch because like you got the kids. And then you visit and you drop off coffee. You say, could I share a verse with you? And you begin a conversation and we have people discipling other people. You say, Greg, I thought that was like for elders. No, that's for everybody. Look at the text. By this time, verse 12, you, if you're a Christian, ought to be teachers. I'm going to take that as basic Christian discipleship. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2.2.2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, for example, if I could just use this in my life, our previous pastor, Dr. Stuart Custer, has been a blessing to me in many ways, and he's encouraged me in many ways. And not just preaching, but there have been times I've been struggling, I talked with him, and he would encourage me. And he would remind me of Jesus and who he is and what the Bible teaches. And he helped me, and I'm thankful for that. He's now with Christ. And my goal is to share that with others who then will be able to take these same truths and share them with others. And it's just like the dominoes, you know? When you were a kid, did you ever set up dominoes? And you stand them on end and go boop, and they just go one after another, and it's kind of fun to watch. That's what should be happening in Christianity, that everyone who's a mature Christian is discipling other Christians. Notice verse 12. This wasn't happening here. By this time you ought to be teachers, yet you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Elementary principles, uh, that would be like some, some people would call this the spiritual ABCs. And you might be thinking, what are those? We'll see those at the end of the text. So there's some really basic stuff, and you are still struggling with this really basic stuff. You shouldn't be needing someone to be teaching you these Christian ABCs again. You should be more mature than that, but you're not. And that's why I'm not telling you about Melchizedek today, is what the author of Hebrews is saying. And the reason I know you're not mature is you are not actively discipling other Christians. That's what's going on in Hebrews. You say, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What did Jesus say? Matthew 4.19, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Followers of Jesus go out and make disciples 
they disciple those people and they teach them that once a period of time is passed, they too would go out and make disciples. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Greg, you use the word discipleship. How in the world would I disciple somebody? We need to think biblically, okay? Let me give you some practical examples. Marriage is discipleship. How many of you husbands are actively praying that you will disciple your wife well? And again, I say this to help, not to hurt. If you're not, you're an immature believer. You ought to understand that marriage is discipleship. Flip the coin. Ladies, how many of you are actively praying that you would disciple your husband well? And I know there's differences. But if you're a woman and your husband, you have your marriage, you have a husband, you would be praying, Lord, help me to disciple my husband, not by taking spiritual leadership, but by encouraging him to embrace the spiritual leadership. Not by saying, okay, I'm going to run things, we're going to have family time, kids, but a wife who says to her husband, hey, I'm so grateful for your leadership. As soon as I finish up with stuff here, would you be willing, honey, to lead us in reading a Bible verse and praying with the kids? And every wife would be discipling her husband in that sense. Every husband disciple. Now, some of you, you would say, Greg, my husband, my wife is not a believer. I understand that. For you, discipleship is praying that God will help you to live out the gospel in such a way that your husband or wife would come to know Christ as Savior. Let's leave marriage aside. What is parenting in one word? Parenting is discipleship. The goal of parenting is not to get your kids to clean their room and obey. And I know some of you are thinking, well, praise the Lord, okay, because ours aren't doing real well. Guys, that's not the goal of parenting. The goal of parenting is to see your children become followers of Christ. And that's just not parenting, those of you with young kids, that's for us old people too. So for us old people, when we see the kids, adult kids, we should be praying, Lord, I'm so glad we're coming together as a family. What can I do to help disciple my adult children? Parenting is discipleship. Hobbies are discipleship. You say, Greg, I like to go hiking. That is awesome. When you hike, how does it become discipleship? You say, it doesn't. I just like to hike. I would suggest you're not mature. Riding motorcycles is discipleship. Okay? I don't ride a lot. When I go out to ride, I always like to say, where are we going to stop? Can we grab coffee or something? And it's not because I'm dying to drink coffee. I want a little bit of time in a ride to say, so how are you doing? I, I, what do you do for work? Hey, it's good to get to know you. Isn't God good that he gave us motorcycles to ride on a beautiful day like today? And that's not a lot, and I know that. But it's done with a heart that really wants to help people at least a little bit think about the Lord so that if they are followers of Christ, they'll grow. If they're not followers of Christ yet, at least I'm encouraging the process. Sports, discipleship. 
right? Do you sit down and watch a game by yourself? You can disagree with me. I would not because who are you discipling? When there's somebody who loves that team, have them over. And then during the game, what are you doing? You're encouraging them in their Christian walk. Work is discipleship. It should be that if you're working with unsaved people all around, that you're praying, Lord, these people all need Jesus. Help me to live out my faith. Some of you work in Christian contexts. You have many believers around. Your goal is not just to do whatever you're hired to do, even though I hope you do that well. Your goal is to encourage the other people. Church is discipleship. You know, how many of us, it was raining and we lost an hour of sleep, and you say, Greg, I'm just glad I made it here. Okay, I'm glad you came, and I, and I do mean that. How many of us actually prayed, Lord, give me someone to bless today? That's a heart of discipleship. Every mature Christian thinks that way. Rather than, they still haven't paved the stupid parking lot, and it's raining again. And now I have to walk through the stupid mud. See, okay, I am glad you're here. I'm very glad you're here. But for those who are more mature and you're parking in the back to be a blessing to people, you're walking through the mud praying, Lord, help me to bless somebody. Help me to say something, even one thing that will help someone. You can do that informally. And starting this week, so I'm going to, address now the insert that I've already talked about. Starting this week, we're beginning a new discipleship ministry here at Trinity. And it's all on this insert. I won't go through the whole thing. But would you be willing to sign up and say, I would be willing to disciple someone? You know, a guy, uh, whoever, if there's a disciple guy that younger than me, we're trying to get more mature Christians, you say, how do you decide who's more mature? Again, I, I realize that can be challenging. The way we have it set it up is this. If you're a member of Trinity Bible Church and you regularly attend services here and you read your Bible and pray on a daily basis. Now, I, we, we can argue that's the best way, but this is where we're starting. Then I would like you to prayerfully consider, would you want to sign up as a disciple maker. And you would simply take this form, fill it out, leave it in the offering box in the lobby, or shoot an email to our new website, not our website, email address, discipleship at trinitybiblegreer.org. It might be that you're not a Christian quite as long, you're a little bit younger, and you could be as old as me. And you say, Greg, are, is there anybody here older than you? There's a couple, okay, there's a couple. And you say, I would love to be discipled. Go for it. And we would ask that the two of you, men with men, women with women, that you would meet together. These are minimums. Go beyond this. But you would agree to meet together once a month. And you would personally meet over lunch, coffee, in a house, whatever. You would once a week contact each other. Some of you will do it more and you will pray specifically for one another. And again, we don't have a curriculum. Some churches do, and I think that's great. We're just not doing it that way. And 
common questions. Text, how's your Bible reading going? I'm praying for you. How's your prayer time going? How could I encourage you? And, and if we could just start with that, and will I see you at church Sunday? That would be an awesome place to begin. Some of you will say, man, I'm just struggling with money. Like, we're so far in debt, and I don't know what to do. And the disciple maker will say, hey, you know what? Would you want to read a book with me? Like, have you ever read Dave Ramsey's financial makeover book? And, 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 and we'll just read it together. Or you say, I'm dying with raising the kids. Would you want to read together a short book on parenting? And maybe we can read it together. And every pair can do it differently. This should just be a normal way of Christian thought that we could stop one another and say, hey, who are you discipling? And you would say, well, I'm actually working with this person, this person, and this person. Of course, there's my spouse, there's my children, and that would just be a very natural, normal thing. That's a mark of Christian maturity according to Hebrews chapter 5. So number one, we have to listen well to God's Word. Don't become dull of hearing. Number two, verse 12, if I'm growing, then I would be by now a teacher, and I would not have need again for someone to teach me the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And then it continues. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. Remember, they're not mature. They're still on the milk. Verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. What's our third mark of Christian maturity? You are a person who digests sound doctrine. When you hear Jesus according to the order of Melchizedek, you think, wow, what a weird name. Wonder what that means. It's in the Bible. I want to know. You don't think, ah, oh, mark it down, something else in the Bible that I really don't care about and I'm not concerned about. I can, as I work through passages, I can talk about things that are a little bit challenging. And you're like, man, I'm all in, Greg. I want to understand this. I might be struggling, but I sure want to know it because I'm growing. Rather than thinking about, man, can't we just love Jesus and let it go at that? No. There's more to maturity than that. We have to be able to digest sound doctrine. Notice again the end of verse 12. It says, you have come to need milk and not solid food. Milk is great for infants, guys. There's nothing wrong with milk. This is not saying milk is bad. But for everyone, there's a time where you should be beyond the milk. I made a visit just this week, and there was a young child. Mom and dad worship with us. Grandma and grandpa worship with us. And the baby, not a baby, the young child had goldfish everywhere, Right? I thought, that's cool. She's eating goldfish. She's past milk. And for some of you, it might be Cheerios or something else like that. We're supposed to grow beyond milk, and I'll even slide in there goldfish and Cheerios, and we're supposed to get to solid food. You say, what's going on with solid food? Drop down to verse 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk 
is not accustomed to, here's solid food, the word of righteousness, the Bible. The Bible and what it teaches, it's like chewing steak. Guys, it's, if you're into steak, I'm, I'm doing this for most of you because I generally don't eat steak, so, but I'll just pretend I do. If I, and, and I'm okay with steak, by the way. Usually I'm eating salmon, but whatever. You guys that like steak, you get a nice steak and it's right off the grill and you chew it and you work on it. It's not like eating Cheerios and goldfish. And you appreciate it. And as you're chewing on it, the flavors are enjoyable. And you're grateful. And obviously, we're talking not about real food here, but we're talking about doctrine. There should be a place where we can talk about deeper things. And here I am on Wednesday night going through the attributes of God. And you don't have to come on Wednesday night. That's not my point. But you should be interested in the topic. And if I talk to you about an attribute of God, it should this last Wednesday night is the wrath of God. And you say, how could that be a blessing? And I would immediately say, okay, then you must still be in milk because it's a great blessing to talk about the wrath of God. I was moved this past Wednesday to talk about the wrath of God because I am a sinful person and I right now deserve to be under the wrath of God, but I'm not. It's because of Jesus and that's the most blessed thought I could think of. It's awesome to meditate on the wrath of God and to realize I deserve it, but I'm not getting it because Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. And some of you say, I already know what word's coming next. Dale used it already, propitiation. What a great word. And you say, I'm still not there. Keep chewing. It's a wonderful word. This is what we should be as believers. Now, in the context of Hebrews, they weren't ready for Melchizedek because they were staying with the milk and they weren't really ready for more thoughtful teaching. You say, Greg, what do you think it would be in Christianity today? I'm going to keep it in Hebrews and I am going to tell you what I believe is the application for Christians today in Hebrews. It's called easy believism. You say, what does that mean? Once saved, always saved. That is a wonderful phrase for children. And you tell a child and I tell a child, you prayed to believe in Jesus. Once saved, always saved. That's great. Goldfish. You say, Greg, you mean there's more to it? Haven't you been reading Hebrews? What does Hebrews say? Let's remind ourselves of chapter 3, verse 6. Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and boast of hope firm until the end. That's called the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. You say, what does that mean? That we are on our way to an eternal rest. We are the house that belongs to Christ if we hold fast our confidence in the boast of our hope firm until the end. So the Bible makes it clear, if I could nuance once saved, always saved, in ways that are more stake-like and less formula-like. Once saved, always saved, and those who are truly saved will continue to believe because Hebrews 3.6 is in the Bible. And there are many churches that will say, 
You know what? Hebrews 3.6 is challenging, but just remember this, guys. Once saved, always saved. This is not for you. Don't worry about it. Because never forget, once saved, always saved. So it doesn't matter what you believe now, as long as you said a prayer in the past, you're good. Pastor, what about Hebrews 3.6? Don't worry about the stake. Stick with the formula. You're good. And there are churches that teach that way. And some of you have actually told me, since we've been in Hebrews, that you have been in churches that have never wrestled with Hebrews 3.6. And if you think this is hard, guys, hang on, because two weeks from today it's going to get really hard. Okay? You say, Greg, that's one verse. Let's do another one, Hebrews 3.14. We have become partakers of Christ. Amen! If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. And here's a very common question. So are you saying you don't believe in once saved, always saved? I believe in eternal security, and those who are eternally secure will do what? They will hold fast the beginning of their assurance firm until the end. You say, Greg, how do you know that? Hebrews 3.14. And people say to me, so what do you think about once saved, always saved? I say, pause. What do you think about Hebrews 3.14? What do you think about Hebrews 3.6? You can't show me once saved and always saved in the Bible. I got 3.6 and I got 3.14. And we have to work through this. And yes, I believe in eternal security. And I think it's awesome. And if you're a newer Christian, I'm not even concerned that you understand what I'm talking about. But if you've been a Christian for a while, I would like to think you understand well the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. It's throughout the Scriptures. In so many, there you go, getting theological that you're not ready for Melchizedek yet. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. There's nothing wrong with milk when you're cute and young. And that's awesome. You say cute and young? Yeah. Oh, I knew that would happen. That's my little buddy. That's our four-month-old now, baby, four. Five, four, somewhere in there. Five, she said. Five-month-old grandson. He is so cute. You know, usually a couple times a week I get to hold him, and he just smiles, and, and it's super cute. And I just walk around holding him, and, and, and it's a delight. And this week I got to feed him. And, you know, Nan said, hey, I, I got stuff going on. You want to feed the baby? I said, of course I do. And I was just snuggling with him, and he drank his whole bottle. And then I hold him up, and, you know, he burps. And it's like, honey, did you hear that? So cool. He burped, you know. And, and then, you know, that's about as far as I go with child care. But I'm, I'm, I, I enjoy it. And the best I know, he's not on Cheerios and Goldfish yet and oatmeal and anything like that. But I'm guessing that's coming pretty soon. Guys, there's nothing wrong with milk. That's my point. This text is not saying milk is bad. But you know what? If you showed up at Shepherd Group Sunday, and I hope you'll at least think about coming if you can, and you showed up with formula, obviously that would be weird. I mean, even if you're an adult and you showed up with a cup of Cheerios or Goldfish, 
Are toddlers maybe somewhere in there? Yes. Not us. We need to grow beyond this. What are the marks of that growth? We listen to God's word, one. We're discipling others, two. We're digesting sound doctrine, three. And then verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. People that are mature Christians, they're not only listening to God's word, discipling others, digesting sound doctrine, they're practicing something. Do you see it? Solid food is for the mature. Who are the mature? Who because of practice? Again and again and again. My understanding is pro athletes never stop practicing. And even NBA teams, I think, continue to practice. And my understanding is great musicians continue to practice. I, the best I know, even the guys that have concerts that are well attended in large venues, they're still practicing their instrument. And mature Christians are continually practicing. Let's go farther in verse 14. Solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained. Now, sense, not so much their sense of taste or touch or smell, that kind of thing, but we're talking about moral senses. So we're talking about the ability to discern. Do you see that comes next? Have their senses trained to discern. That word means to judge. You say, should we be judgmental? Not in a negative sense, obviously. But the word can be translated to differentiate or discriminate. A mature Christian, get this, is not someone who knows a lot of Bible. And we're in a very educated church. And it's easy to think, I know my Bible, I'm mature. My heart broke recently. Someone who regularly worships with us told me that he was raised in a pastor's home and he doesn't believe that he will see his dad in heaven. He said, my dad knew the Bible well. He taught it and he preached it. He cared about people. He was good on hospital visitation. And I watched how he lived in our home. How he treated us, my mother, others. No way would a Christian live that way. Christian maturity is the idea of taking Bible knowledge and practicing and making decisions based on what is good and what is evil. It's not, yeah, I can break down Ephesians and I know the first three chapters are really heavy in doctrine and I could tell you the relationship of Christ and the church and I could talk to you about a biblical definition of the church and how the church and Israel relate and I realize you get into chapter 4 and then you transition into the practical application of the doctrine and I'm good with this thing of indicatives and imperatives and then you get into chapter 5 and it talks about loving your wife 
Guys, if I'm not loving Nancy, that means nothing. And I'm an infant. I could be teaching at a seminary and spiritually be an infant if I'm not loving Nancy. Biblical maturity is how you live. It's not passing a systematic theology text, test on a text. This is how we grow. And it's in relationships with one another. And we're praying, Lord, please help me to make good choices, practicing having their senses trained to discern good and evil. Kids can't do this, guys. Yesterday, uh, you know, I just, yeah, I love my grandkids, and they were over yesterday. And one of the girls, I won't name who, she was in need of a nap. And it was obvious because she was acting in ways that make it obvious. And I said something like, I think maybe you need a nap. And maybe mom or Nana or somebody said to her, maybe you need a nap. And she said, no, I don't. Okay, so why do we force children to take naps? Well, you say, because I need a break. Okay, that was good, <laughs> but it's more than that. It's because they're not mature enough. They're not mature enough to think, you know what, I just yelled at my mother. My flesh is coming out. I think I need a nap. Mother, I think I need a nap. Kids don't talk that way. Teenagers, why do we, you guys need curfews? Why do mom and dads have curfews on high school kids? Because they're not mature enough to know that being out at 1 and 2 a.m. on Friday and Saturday night is not conducive to my spiritual growth. Like there's not a lot of serious Bible study in Hebrews going on at 2 a.m. That's not why couples are parked in cars, right, studying Hebrews. So mom and dad know you lack maturity, and they have a curfew. But guys, then we grow up. And we don't need to be saying, okay, Greg, remember to take your nap. Remember to be in by whatever time's appropriate. Because we are mature enough to say, hey, it's Saturday night, it's 10 o'clock. I guess I'm going to shut ESPN off. I'm going to get off social media. I'm going to spend a little time reading my Bible and get to bed in time because that's what mature people do. See, we get older, we make those decisions. Kids don't make those decisions. They need to be told. And so as we practice moral discernment, Lord, I'm going to read my Bible today. I'm going to listen to a sermon. I'm going to go to Trinity. And boy, I want to be careful. We got great servants here. And some people come frequently, but they listen to the sermon rarely. And that's not a mark of spiritual maturity. It's, I need to hear God's Word, not because I'm awesome, but because God's Word is helpful for all of us. And we practice, not just passing a test, but being discerning in what we do. And with all of this in mind, then we wrap up with chapter 6, verse 1, which is actually our conclusion. Verse 1, 2, and 3, let's go forward. Notice what it says here. 
And this is one of those chapter divisions. It's probably not best. Chapter and the divisions are not inspired, so that's okay. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching, leaving the ABCs about the Christ. You say, we're supposed to leave Christ. Never. It's not leave Christ. That's not what it's saying. It's going beyond. We don't want to continually be what? Focusing on the milk, the ABCs. You know, a specific, simple example, right? What would be something we might do? We teach our kids, and, and properly so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's an awesome song, and I love it. And yes, Jesus does love me, and the Bible tells me, and God's word is true. But we have to build on that. That doesn't mean leave that behind and deny it. It means, okay, you've built the foundation of your house. Now start building the house. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Not laying again, and here we go. What are the spiritual ABCs? What is the milk that the Hebrews were struggling with? Obviously, they knew exactly what these terms meant. We struggle a little bit to know what they mean. There's six items mentioned. They're in three groups or pairs. Let me comment briefly on them. What are the spiritual ABCs that they should be beyond? Notice verse 1. Not laying again, first of all, a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Faith and repentance... Many of you know that's what we call conversion. Conversion, when you come to Christ, it's through faith and repentance. Greg, are we supposed to be on that? Be beyond that. Well, yes. It doesn't mean it's unimportant. It's very important. But you don't want to be every Sunday hearing a sermon on, you need to get saved. Faith and repentance, you need to get saved. What else should I know? Don't worry about it. And there are are people who that's where they stop. And Hebrews is saying, no, don't deny those, but build, move forward. The next one's not quite as clear, verse 2. What's the second pair? Of instruction about washings and laying on of hands. Now, some translations translate the word washings as baptisms. Probably not baptism as we think of baptism because the word's plural here. And in the New Testament, it's never used in the plural to refer to what we would refer to as Christian baptism. Probably some type of Jewish ritualistic washing. Remember, these are Messianic Jews. These are people that are still very Jewish, but they're rejoicing in Jesus. And so most people believe, and most of our translations translate, some type of washings and then laying on of hands. Again, it doesn't specify whatever we say would be something of a guess. But some part of perhaps initiation right, washings, laying on of hands, and then the third pair, notice, comes in the second half of verse 2, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Remember, even your average Jew believed in the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. You didn't have to become a believer in Jesus to believe those things. Those are good things. 
Don't deny those things. But there's more to life than I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven because Jesus loves me, this I know. There's more. That's good. Never make fun of that. But it's the foundation. Notice verse 1, not laying again a foundation of. So verse 1, leaving these elementary teachings, going beyond, and notice the second half of verse 1, let us press on to maturity. And that word there, translated press on, it's from a verb that means to be carried, to be brought along. Real quick, 2 Peter 1.21 uses it. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were, here it is, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The authors of the Bible didn't just write what they wanted, but they were carried along, brought along. Same word. Let us be brought along. Let us be carried along. And in that sense, let us press on to maturity. How? Keep it in context and we wrap up. Actively listen to God's Word. If I'm not reading God's Word daily, I am not a mature Christian. It's that easy. You say, Greg, I've read it, I checked the box. Okay, it's more than that, but it's not less than that. Which is why we're saying, if you would like to volunteer to be a disciple maker, and I hope many of you will, we're simply asking a question. Do you read your Bible every day? You say, Greg, I want to, but I'm not there yet. Okay, then I'm praying you will, and when you get there, then I hope you'll sign up to be a disciple maker. Actively listen to God's Word. That would include coming to a worship service once a week, whatever. Some of you don't have the ability to come every week. I understand. But in your heart, you would want to actively listen to God's Word. And then second, you're intentionally discipling others. Marriage, discipleship. Raising the kids, discipleship. Work, discipleship. Riding motorcycles, discipleship. Final four, basketball, here we go, discipleship. Life, discipleship. That's what it is. Life is all about discipling others. That's number two. Listen to God's word, intentionally disciple others, and enthusiastically digest sound doctrine. And you're coming to Hebrews and you're going, wow, Lord, if I'm not excited about Melchizedek, help me to get excited about Melchizedek. You say, Greg, and we're never going to hit it. Now, some of you are reading Hebrews, so you know. Good news for you, we are going to get there. The problem, quote unquote, is we got to work through chapter 6, which many would consider one of the most difficult passages in all of the Bible. Okay? And Lord willing, again, in two weeks, we'll be tackling that. And you know what you're thinking? You're thinking, man, I want to understand Hebrews 6. I want to get there, Greg. Help me to understand it. In fact, I'm going to start reading it ahead of time. And I'm going to pray that God helps me to get it. Rather than just saying, well, you know what? It's kind of tough, but just remember one thing, guys. Never forget it. Once saved, always saved. What does it mean? Don't worry about it. Just keep repeating. Once saved, always saved. Jesus loves me. This I know. Cheerios are awesome, right? 
There's something simple about goldfish. No, it's time for us to press on to maturity, so actively listen to God's word, actively be involved in discipling others, actively be involved in enthusiastically digesting sound doctrine. This is the message by God's grace. We need to keep going forward. We need to appreciate more Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Don't go back. Where else are you going to go? No matter where else you go, Jesus is better. Jesus is much better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us such a practical letter like Hebrews. For many of us, we read it and maybe it just doesn't seem to click as well as other portions and yet we take our time as we did this morning and we see right here clear and simple what Christian maturity looks like. And so Lord we pray that you would help us to ask some real hard questions of ourselves. Not, not to put down anyone else, but to ask questions about ourselves, about our daily Bible reading, the spirit that we listen to sermons with, about viewing life as discipleship in our marriage with our roommates, in our homes, at work, at play. And having a heart that longs for the meat of the word to come to difficult te texts with hearts that are wide open and just say, Lord, help me to understand because I want to know you better. I want the hard meat, the, 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 the good meat, I want to grow. Lord, I want to live for you. I want to please you. Help me to mature. Lord, help us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.